Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care. TD Bank. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Here when you need us most, now and always. PSENG. Committed to providing safe, reliable energy, now and in the future. Johnson & Johnson. New Jersey Sharing Network. Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. Summit City, MD, a provider of primary, specialty, and urgent care. And by ADP. Promotional support provided by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. And by NJ.com, keeping communities informed and connected. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato with my colleague, Nicole Swinerton, our senior producer. By the way, let's do this. When is Think Tank on News 12 Plus? You can catch us at Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Monday nights at 10 p.m. And what's the great program that proceeds on Sunday morning, Think Tank, that you watch every Sunday at 10 o'clock? I think that would be your other program, Lessons in Leadership with the great co-host, Mary Gamba. Well, hold on. <laughs> you went right to the great co-host. I'm on the show too. Mary lets me talk sometimes. Hey, let's set up this think tank. Nicole, you got uh, Peter Webster who talks all about what? He talks about the impact of childcare on the economy and how important it is that business executives are looking at their employees and figuring out what needs they have. And a lot of those needs are childcare. So how important that is to growing your business and, and overall growing the economy. And that's part of our series called um, Reimagine Childcare. And also a compelling, powerful conversation with Mike Duhame, a Republican strategist, and Julie Roginski, a Democratic strategist, as part of our Democracy at a Crossroads series. Your biggest takeaway was, is? One of the things they talk about is how the Democrats and the Republicans, or people from both sides, are not even speaking the same language anymore. We don't even we can't even agree what facts are when it comes to wearing a mask, when it comes to is climate change even real or not. So they really discuss that and um, how that's something that we need to fix moving forward. And real quick, Joe Duffy, who is the chief medical officer at St. Joseph's Health, talks all about COVID, what we need to know in the vaccine as well. Hey, I've got a few seconds left. Who, who funds the program? We would love to thank the Turrell Fund supporting Reimagined Childcare, TD Bank, Horizon, and CIANJ. Uh, listen, we're going to go to Think Tank in a minute. I guess I could ask you something. Did you ever think you'd be on the air doing what you're doing right now, being a co-anchor? No, I don't think I ever did, but I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you have no regrets, right? No regrets. Just checking. I'll do it publicly because, you know, I'm not sure what you're going to say. Yeah, uh, Steve Adubato, Nicole Swinerton, this is Think Tank. Great program. Must see TV. Someone, I think NBC said that years ago. I'm going to say it right now. Check out Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Uh, welcome to another compelling remote program. We uh, kick it off with Peter Webster, who is Resident Managing Director, Commercial Risk Solutions at Aon. Good to have you with us, Peter. Nice to be here. 
Tell us what Aon is, by the way. So we are a risk and health consulting company. Uh, we are global. We've got about 60,000 employees in 120 countries. Mm. You know, the reason you're with us is to talk about childcare. Our friends at the Tarot Fund um, help us support the effort we have called Reimagine Childcare. It's a long-term initiative looking at childcare, accessible, affordable childcare. But what is the connection between quality, affordable, accessible childcare and the economy? Hmm. It's interesting. I, um, I really believe that, obviously, when it comes from my perspective as a, a leader of an organization, I think about my people. And I think about, you know, I started to talk with the Terrell Fund about some of the struggles that my uh, colleagues were having, especially the ones that were, you know, have young children and um, th that they're struggling with making sure that their young children are getting access to qualitative childcare. Now that we're work working this, you know, uh, environment, uh, vir virtual environment, uh, it goes to the wayside, right? So this giving children the opportunity early on uh, to have qualitative education uh, gives them an opportunity for equity. You know, so the faster that we can unlatch their potential uh, in the beginning, the better they, they serve our community. Uh, I want to ensure, ensure that my colleagues have uh, all that they need to make sure that their children have access to qualitative care as quickly as possible. To what degree, Peter, do you believe that most folks in the corporate world understand how critical quality childcare is, uh, particularly during this pandemic? Again, this will be seen in 2021. Cross your fingers with the vaccine, we'll see. But it's not going to go away and all of a sudden we go back to normal, whatever people think that means. To what degree do you think most corporate leaders understand that you cannot have a successful business without employees who are functioning and productive, and that requires quality, affordable, accessible childcare. One of the things that I love about um, the world that we're living in now is that people are demanding it, right? So if you want to have access to uh, the best high potential employees, uh, then you're going to have to respond and be uh, and make sure that your company has the resources to assist them holistically. And so I think as a corporate leader, it's your responsibility to know what's going to serve your employees best so that they can be engaged and serve the firm the best, right? So uh, again, people are looking at holistic benefits packages now more so than, you know, when I was growing up, it was more about salary. It was more about the title. And now people are looking to see how is a firm going to support me and my family? And that's not only from early child care education, but also with, you know, serving my, the elderly. If, I, if I've got to serve my parents, you know, this is, a, this is something that we've got to think about from beginning to end. Yeah, so interesting. This pandemic, as we're taping at the end of 20. 20 has impacted so many aspects of our life, include our lives, including what, what Peter Webster is talking about, which is the expectations most people have of their employer and how employers respond to those needs, those demands um, is going to dictate an awful lot. But, but, and by the way, the Reimagined Childcare logo has been up throughout this entire program. Check out on steveautobato.org our website to find out all the past 
programs and segments we've done on reimagined childcare. You know, there's another, uh, I'm gonna shift gears dramatically. Um, my dad, who passed away recently, uh, together with my mom, always big fans of the New Jersey Symphony, all right? And what a great organization. Let's put up the website, if we can, Nicole, for the New Jersey Symphony, a great not-for-profit. You serve on the board, right? Yes, I am a trustee, and I'm the co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Why does the New Jersey Symphony matter now more than ever? Well, it's funny. You know, um, I was introduced to it by uh, uh, a former work uh, colleague and uh, who's now a mentor. He was the co-board uh, chair uh, back at that time. And he introduced me to what the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, I've, I've obviously, I love classical music. I love the arts, but I didn't understand uh, all that New Jersey Symphony Orchestra offered to the community through its programming. And that's preschool. You know, they actually have music for early childhood, you know, uh, towards early childhood education, which kind of goes along with reimagined childcare. Um, they've got the youth orchestras and they reach back into the communities in Newark and we're trying to expand that because we do serve the entire state of New Jersey. They also do uh, music healing through music and go to visit the hospitals, not only serving the patients, but also the staff members as a part of well-being. So I thought about that and I'm thinking, this absolutely relates to the holistic needs of the community. And then it serves my colleagues and it serves me well. Music is a universal language. And then when I go back to our history of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra back in 1968, when we had the first African-American major uh, conductor of the, a major symphony orchestra ever. Who was that? Henry Lewis. Wow, okay. And when I think about the bones, the structure of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra and think about what that, how that relates to today, a lot of people don't understand that back in 1968, he led three outdoor concerts at the site of the Nork riots to bring peace and healing to the community. Wow. And that's exactly what we need right now. And I, I want to share that to other, to, uh, to uh, diverse audiences and let them know the rich history that is the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. And by the way, as we leave this segment with Peter, the uh, symphony, the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra uh, has done a lot of remote work as well. Go on their website, find out more about what they're doing. I wanna thank the folks at TD for, for highlighting this and, and, and reinforcing this message because I know they're committed. It's interesting, the folks at TD, I'm not gonna turn this into a commercial for them, but they're into the James Moody TD Jazz Festival and they're into this. So music is a big part of the community, not just in Newark and New Jersey, but a part of our lives. Hey, listen, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. I'm Miles, and this is what I work for. To be my best for them and for me, in body and in mind. 
I need a health insurer that helps me get the care I need for both. That has mental health professionals that I can talk to when I need to. Because when I feel strong and secure, so do they. This is my life. And this is how Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey works for me. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. This is a compelling conversation. We actually had them on. Uh, but by popular demand, we ask them to stay there and just keep taping. Uh, Julie Reginsky is Democratic strategist, president of Optimist Communications. Mike Duhane, Republican strategist, partner at Mercury. Also check them out on NJ.com and the Star-Ledger. Their weekly column called Friendly Fire. Mike, I'm going to pick this up. We ended our le- When we saw each other last, um, Julie was talking about media. And I asked the question about divided media, polarized media. Mike, we in the media. A, are we as polarized as the American public appears to be? And B, what responsible role should we have in promoting a more healthy democracy, if you will? Mike Duhame. It's a bit of a chicken and egg, right? I think the media is giving people what they want, but they're also feeding it. As Julie said, your Facebook algorithm is giving you people who are just like you. So if you want, you can go all day only hearing from one side. It's up to us as consumers of media also to make sure where if you're watching Fox, maybe you're also reading the New York Times or clicking on MSNBC once in a while, and certainly PBS and NPR, things that will give you kind of a wider variety of opinions and issues. Uh, but also, it's a, it's a larger fundamental question about the American electorate right now. Um, politicians are not getting rewarded for compromise right now. I mean, look what's happened really in the last, I would say, 10 to 12 years, going back to the 2010 election, uh, the federal government, Republicans came in with really an obstructionist agenda and were rewarded for it. President Obama did not work with them at all during 2009 and passage of Obamacare. Republicans came in, and since then, I feel like the parties have just drifted even further apart. And to a point now where you don't get rewarded for compromise, look at somebody like a Jeff Flake in Arizona who was critical of Donald Trump. He left rather than face a primary. We are at a, we're at a point now, and I believe it is somewhat in both parties. I think the Democrats will see it now. I'm curious to see how West Virginia conservative Democrat Joe Manchin works with the more socialist Democratic wing of the House, right? You're getting to a point where the, the polls of both parties are punishing you for compromising uh, with somebody from the other party as opposed to rewarding you. From 2010 to 2020, we saw that in Republican primaries. If you were someone who's known as compromising, you were pushed out during primaries. And I fear that's where we're at. Until we have people rewarded by the voters for that, uh, of course, we're just going to continue in this cycle. Yeah, yeah, but Julie, isn't the problem, the conundrum, as Mike lays this out, that as we continue to face, try to face this COVID-19 crisis moving into 2021, where this will be seen, that Mike says that's what the public wants, or at least they reward you for it, but the public does want Democrats and Republicans have come together and come with a coherent COVID federal policy, state policy. So is it the government we deserve or do we deserve, do do we actually deserve better than what we reward people for? I don't even know what that question means, but I think you know. We got it, we got it, Steve. I don't know that I agree. I don't know that I agree with your premise. I think Mike is right. I don't know that this is what people want. Um, If that's what they wanted, they would have voted either for Joe Biden and and a much more, um, robust Democratic majority in the House and certainly a, a Democratic majority in the Senate, or they would have voted for Donald Trump and the other way around. But they don't it know seems- what they—Julie, uh, I'm sorry for interrupting, but do you believe that, that the, say the Republicans keep control of the Senate, there's, as we do this, there's two races in Georgia, we understand, Democrats control the House, Joe Biden's the president. Do you think that most Americans are saying, yeah, I want gridlock? That's not what they were voting for. I think they were. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but look at Maine. Maine's a great example. How is it that Maine overwhelmingly votes for 
um, votes for Joe Biden and then has, a, I believe, an 18-point swing to keep Susan Collins in the Senate. I mean, how is that possible? And so the answer is, yeah. I mean, I do think people want, uh, they consider it to be compromise in the sense that they want, maybe they're voting to have both parties work together. But after all these years, as Mike pointed out, after the last uh, probably 30 years from when Newt Gingrich got in in 94, do they really think that there's much compromise to be had between a executive from one side of the aisle and a Congress from the other side of the aisle? It's not cooperation, it's gridlock. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want no government at all. In the midst of a global pandemic? Go ahead, Mike. I think it brings up a really good point. I think think voters want checks and balances. I think they don't want, I I think the the middle of the electorate right now does not love either party. And the way to check both parties is to make sure there's divided government. And I think there's been, there've been votes for divided government now. You've also had rejectionist change elections going all the way back to 2006. It seems like every two years, Voters are throwing everybody out, and it's been an angry electorate since 2006. And what they want is the parties to work together, but what they really don't want is one party running the whole show. And that's what but, they but don't want to show us. But move, by the way, there's a, a wonderful sounding dog somewhere in there. It, it might be in my own house, but um, or worse, yeah, it could be in my head. But here's <laughs> here's the question: COVID, institutional structural racism, um, environmental problems, global warming. Um, the economy, et cetera, real public policy issues. We're less interested in partisan politics, and both of you care deeply about public policy. So, Julie, my question is this. What you and Mike just described that you clearly agree on, what voters seem to have wanted in this past November election, what does it mean about solving some of those problems or at least making progress? Doesn't it mean de facto? We're not doing anything. Actually, think about what you just, the, the issues you just outlined, COVID. A great chunk of this country believes COVID is a hoax. They believe that it's basically something that's being driven to tear down the economy so that Donald Trump would lose. How many people would have to die or be hospitalized for people to go, oh, I guess it's real? There was an interesting article um, where a nurse in South, just this past week, where a a nurse in South Dakota was saying that as people are dying from COVID, as they're putting ventilators down their throat, they're effectively saying, this is all a hoax. This is all being done. Screw Joe Biden. I mean, you think about what, what is being said, global warming. You have a Republican party that frankly rejects global warming as a real thing, a lot of people in the party. Um, racial, you said there, there's, there, there's, there's racial unrest. There's, there's racial strength. Well, excuse me. I had State Senator Mike Doherty on. Right. About an hour before we taped this, he said institutional racism does not exist, and we need to stop perpetuating that hoax. There, there, so there you go. So there you go. You have people like Senator Doherty who don't believe it exists or, and, and I'm not going to speak for him, or believe that, yes, it exists, but it oppresses the poor white working class because they apparently can't get into Harvard. And meanwhile, anybody who's you know African-American in their mind skates in. So when you think about what we don't agree, we don't even, we're not even reading from the same book. We're not even speaking the same language. Are it's there not any that facts we can agree on? Are there any facts, objective facts we can agree on? You know, I used to think we could agree on something like COVID. I used to think that if there was a 9-11 style, um, some sort of 9-11 style event that we would all come together the way we did after 9-11. COVID was that 9-11 style I event. I thought so. It was that chance. It was Mike, that chance. Can we, Mike, can we agree on anything? I was, I think, uh, Julie, I agree all the time, as you can see. I do believe uh, <laughs> COVID was this generation, September 11th. There's going to be a, 
a pre and a post. There are things you remember that were different before and, and never uh, to be seen again. And it was a great opportunity for Donald Trump as the president to bring people together because governors needed him. The go governors need the federal government in a time of crisis. Look at some of the nice things Andrew Cuomo and Phil Murphy said about Donald Trump during the height of this pandemic. They needed his support. And to some extent, the federal government was being helpful. Think of what he could have done. Just think of the political strategy, no less the actual good policy, if he had worked with the Democratic governors of Michigan, of Wisconsin, of Pennsylvania, very important battleground states for him, where he could have done the right thing from a policy point of view and actually had a benefit from a political point of view. Can Joe Biden do that with Republican governors, Mike? I think Joe Biden probably can, because he's a creature of the Senate. He grew up, he grew up in the Senate, right? He was 29 years old when he got elected. This is somebody who has lived that bipartisan approach and actually has a relationship. I don't know how good, but he actually has one with Mitch McConnell. He actually has one with a number of Republican senators. So my hope is they'll be able to work together. Ultimately, it is incumbent upon the executive to reach out. One of the, I remember one of the stories after Republicans took control in 2010, it, it had been said that John Boehner, who was then the minority leader, had never visited with President uh, Obama in the White House or on Air Force One. The president is the one who's got great home field advantage and can reach out. I think if the president invites Republican senators over to the White House and brings them in and makes them part of it, they're not going to reject that. Now, listen, they have their own politics back home to worry about. But it's ultimately, okay. President, president Trump didn't do it. I think President Biden has the opportunity. Whether or not he'll be successful, I don't know, but he has the opportunity. All right. You mind if I plug again your column? Sure. Go for it. It's called Friendly Fire um, with Julie and Mike. Check them out every Sunday on the Star-Ledger and also on NJ.com. I wish we had more folks in public life, be they elected or not, that have civil discourse, even when they disagree, and even though they couldn't give me any silver lining in these discussions. Julie Reginsky, Mike Duhame, thank you, my friends. Best thank to you, you and your so family. Much. Bye, Julie. Yeah. I'm Steve Adubato. Thanks for watching. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. We are honored to welcome Dr. Joseph Duffy, uh, Senior Vice President, Chief Medical Officer at St. Joseph's Health. Good to see you, Dr. Duffy. Thanks, Steve, and thanks for having me. You got it. Listen, let me ask you this. We're taping on the 8th of December, be seen after that. It's hard, we're not gonna predict, but biggest lessons from a clinical perspective that you take from the COVID-19 experience to date? Never underestimate that a disease uh, has a mind of its own. Be prepared. And when you're prepared, expect to be thrown a curveball. So it's interesting. People say, you know, and let's talk the vaccine right away. Um, as we do this program, again, seen early in the first quarter of 2021, are you confident that the vaccine will be given to the healthcare professionals, you and your colleagues on the front line, that they will A, take it, B, that it will be effective, and it will be done in a fair fashion? Loaded question, I know. Go ahead, doctor. It's a lot of questions, Steve, but if you poll the physicians in the state of New Jersey and the NJ Hospital Association did, did that, uh, they found about 50% are willing to take the, the vaccine. And if you poll nurses, you may get 40%. Is that now, enough, Joe? Is that enough? 
Not enough, not enough. We need uh, over 70, 80% compliance in order to get to where we need to be. So is it, is it a challenge for you and your colleagues to convince your colleagues that this is safe? And frankly, if, I mean, as a, as a citizen, as a consumer, we're, it's, there are gonna be people who say, wait a minute, if the docs aren't doing, the nurses aren't doing it, I'm not doing it. And again, we'll date ourselves because there'll be a lot of public awareness campaigns, et cetera. But don't the physicians and the nurses have to take it in order to send us the message that it's okay? I believe so, Steve. And the only way to do that is to educate everyone so they understand everything about the vaccine and be as transparent as possible about that information. Let me ask you this, separate and apart from the vaccine, because that's only part of it, wearing a mask, social distancing, avoiding large groups, you hear it and you can never hear it enough. That being said, Doctor, to what degree do you believe the existing medications and what are they that appear to be, whether it's in a cocktail or whatever you call protocol, I'm not sure what people call it, but what appears to be effective, if not curing, helping to deal with COVID right now? So there's no cure for this disease. We can help it along, we help the body heal. Uh, there's a concoction or a recipe that we call protocol, and that recipe generally entails monoclonal antibodies at present on the outpatient basis. That's new. We've heard about Regeneron products and the Eli Lilly product. That's the monoclonal antibodies that are available today. And then on the inpatient side, uh, dexamethasone, which is a high-dose uh, steroid, is used intravenously, oxygen therapy, remdesivir, uh, supportive immune therapy like zinc and vitamin C is also added, and antibiotics if necessary for any secondary bacterial infections. How about this though? And let me disclose that um, I have been doing leadership and communication coaching at St. Joseph's for many years. And, and my area, my focus around physician communication leadership is very significant. So I'm, I'm challenged by this. And one of the areas that's come up in a physician leadership academy that I uh, facilitate is this, physician burnout, nurse burnout, clinician burnout. What, is it burning out, Dr. Duffy, from seeing all these patients and then the, who have COVID and then the fear of yourself and bringing it home? What is the burnout about and the fatigue? The way I would analyze this, Steve, it's like running a marathon and then finishing the marathon and never giving one a chance to recover fully. And then you ask yourself, do I have to run another marathon? And do I have to train for that marathon? Well, they're training for it right now. The operations tempo is such a high tempo right now in the state of New Jersey, and especially where we sit in Patterson, that we're seeing the beds filled up with both non-COVID and COVID patients. So people are working at a very high operation tempo. So we'll be going into a surge in a matter of two weeks or so, two to four weeks, and people are exhausted already. And by the way, again, we're taping on the 8th of December. We don't know where things will be. Let me ask you this. The minority community, a high percentage of folks across the country are questioning the vaccine, but uh, uh, I believe a higher percentage of people who are black and brown question the vaccine. Um, you're in Patterson. It's a reality in Newark and Jersey City and Patterson and Brooklyn and other places. What's your message to the African-American community in Patterson and other communities who are reluctant about the vaccine? 
Our message uh, for St. Joseph's especially is that we'll provide you with an abundance of information and be as transparent as we can to let you make an informed decision. This vaccine won't be pushed on anybody, but you should know what the vaccine is all about, the side effects and the implications of getting this vaccine. And unless you know this, we understand there will be trepidation. Let me ask you this before I let you go, Joe. For those who say I'm not going into St. Joseph's or any hospital for cardiac care, for cancer care, for maternal mistake, correct? Absolutely. Because if you're having any medical problems at all, get to the hospital. We'll keep you safe. That is uh, Dr. Joe Duffy, who is Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at St. Joseph's uh, Health, uh, also an underwriter of the work we're doing. Dr. Duffy, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We wish you and your colleagues all the best. And it is not a cliche. You and your colleagues are, in fact, heroes. And you cannot say it and believe it enough. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Steve. I'm Steve Adubato. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care. TD Bank, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, PSE&G, Johnson & Johnson, New Jersey Sharing Network, Seton Hall University, Summit City, MD, and by ADP. Promotional support provided by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. And by NJ.com. I'm Miles, and this is what I work for. To be my best for them and for me, in body and in mind. I need a health insurer that helps me get the care I need for both. That has mental health professionals that I can talk to when I need to. Because when I feel strong and secure, so do they. This is my life. And this is how Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey works for me.